Well, it's a joy to, uh, to um, have this service, have this opportunity to really get into the ministry in Uganda. And as Pastor mentioned, uh, what we'll, our plan will be this evening is to sort of uh, take some time to, to dive into some aspects of this ministry that we don't normally necessarily have time to talk about. But we'll do that first and then open it up for any questions that you all have about this ministry. Um, I find it especially neat to be here because of the fact that you all support both us and the Prettymans. So our furloughs will always be offsetting, and that would mean hopefully you're always having some kind of uh, Uganda report coming, every couple years anyway. Um, so you guys are invested in this ministry, in this sort of corner of the world, and I would hope that we can kind of take this time and walk away from this service just being much more informed, up-to-date on what's happening there in order to be more informed as to how to pray for this, for this ministry. So... I suppose if there's any primary purpose of this service, of this time, it's to walk away just very informed as to how to pray um, about this place. I've never, um, if I can just be transparent with you about this, I've never in my life felt more truly dependent on the prayers of God's people than I have now, when, especially when it comes to Muslim ministry. Um, with the Muslim relationships that we've had and the homes that we've been in, um, I've stepped back and realized that there is nothing Joe Reisinger is going to say to persuade a Muslim man to leave everything he's ever known and be ostracized by his people, to cling to, cling to Christ, to cling to what I'm showing him. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the prayers of God's people, God works that way. I don't want to, in my mind, ever minimize how significant that is, the task of the body of Christ, praying for the gospel advancing around the world. It's a big deal. And uh, your, your labors with us in that way are something, is just something that um, Lindsay and I are extremely grateful for. I trust God will really use. So I hope, I hope you're excited about that and stirred by just how important that is here in your, your missions month. Let me mention a couple of things in scripture as we open up here, specifically as it relates to this matter of praying. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We were, we were talking about the church of Thessalonica uh, here this morning. <clears throat> and by the time the Apostle Paul gets to the end of his second letter to them, he, he asks them to pray for him as a missionary. And I think this is, this is neat. In the third chapter of 2 Thessalonians, verse 1, tells this church, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. So he's praised this church. He's encouraged this church. He's challenged this church. And now in sort of a final way, writes to this church and says, hey, finally, pray for us that the word of the Lord would have free course. This message that we know is powerful, that worked greatly in Thessalonica, now just pray that it would have free course in the same way it has with you. Pray that it would have free course in the place where I'm going. And here we are at Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor Baptist Church. The word, of, the word of the Lord has worked powerfully here. Maybe everyone in the room could attest to that in some way in their own life how the word of the Lord has worked in our hearts. And if you'd pray that in that same way, the word of the Lord would really uh, take root in the hearts of people in local churches uh, where, we're going, where we are um, going. Look over at Matthew chapter 9. We won't spend a lot of time in our Bibles here this evening necessarily, but wanted to point out to you these couple of things since it really relates to what we're looking at this evening. Matthew chapter 9 is a prayer request from Jesus. So Jesus... <clears throat> as he interacted with the harvest field, as his ministry was sort of ramping up and he was going to place to place uh, teaching and preaching, Matthew 9, verse 35. 
And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. In verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. So here's Jesus moving place to place. He sees crowds of people and sees them for what they were, lost people. And Jesus, as the one who could look at a crowd and see the, their hearts, realize how, how truly lost they were, um, turned to his followers and had one prayer request for them. In, in light of this great need that he saw, in light of these lost, wandering multitudes, he had one prayer request for his disciples where he says, verse 37, Then he saith unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Here's the prayer request. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The solution to a great need in the world is that laborers would go. That was Jesus' prayer request. He told his people, pray for that. Pray that laborers would go. So for us today, uh, and as we, as we sort of have this mission's uh, emphasis here this month, uh, if you pray about that, pray that at Ann Arbor Baptist Church, God would do this work of sending forth laborers into this harvest field, the harvest field of, <clears throat> excuse me, of Ann Arbor, as well as other corners of the world that really need gospel messengers uh, today. All right. Brother, would you pull up that, that map on the screen? Wanted to put this map here uh, as a simple visual of where we're talking about here in Uganda. Uh, I like maps. I like knowing where we're talking about, and I think before we uh, went to Uganda for the first time, I had no idea where Uganda was, so if you're with me on that, then. Um, Uganda's East Africa, and you can see, you really can't see very well, but on the bottom right side of the screen is Africa. Uganda's landlocked on the east side of Africa between Kenya and the Congo. Uh, it's, a rel it's not a huge country. It's like the size of the state of Oregon, so but the population is really growing, like 40-some million people already in this country. <clears throat> we are in the top left corner of that country. So you see that yellow box on the top left corner, and you can sort of see the um, blue line, which is the Nile River that's running north, kind of clipping off the top left corner of Uganda. And as it clips off that, that top left corner, that it, it's referred to as the West Nile region. So it's on the west side of the Nile. This corner of the country historically has been really tough to get to, really tough to live in, like dangerous to live in. And I see it very much as an opportunity for our generation today. So like um, 20 years ago, there was really no um, adequate road to drive on to, to travel north across Uganda to get to that region. It was just really tough to get there. There were guerrilla groups that had a lot of control in that region that would make it really dangerous for a foreigner to try to live there. As we drive today, as we drive north across Uganda from the airport up to our region, there's a certain corner that you turn around, and the local people tell me that years ago, like pretty recent history really, that corner was very dangerous because there was always a bunch of guys with guns ready to shoot your tires out as you cross around that corner into the West Nile region. So today it's peaceful, and we praise God for that, and really embrace the opportunity to take the gospel there. Um, we're not the only ones that have recognized the opportunity in that region. So I mentioned this morning the Muslim influence. It's exploding. Like there, there is just great attention being given to the West Nile region um, by, by Islam. M mosque, 
uh, construction projects happening all over the place. There's many Italian Catholic missionaries there. There's Jehovah's Witness missionaries that have started going there. Um, there are Mormons there as well now. So um, it's an opportunity, and it's, it's exciting for that reason. Let me talk just a minute. I know I'm kind of going through a whole bunch of details, but um, this, this outline shows each people group across the region. So Uganda's interesting in the way there are literally dozens of languages. So one small country, dozens of languages. Um, the tribal, um, excuse me, the um, trade language is English, but, um, but um, there's many local languages across the country that uh, people speak. I'll reference this map instead of turning around here. There's um, seven people groups across the West Nile region. We live in this most central um, economic hub of that region, which is Arua. So you see a second from the bottom there is Arua. And we live, us and the Prettymans live about like five miles apart, uh, very close to each other, close to the Arua town, which is a town of 60,000 people. And the entire West Nile region sort of runs in and out of that town, again, as an economic hub. And uh, we base our ministry there. So the training center is built very close to Arua town. Um, <clears throat> the Lugbara people group it occupies Arua, Maracha to the north, and Yumbe as well, to the north of that. So anyway, the Lugbara populate a few of those districts, and then there's other languages in the other districts. So I know there's a lot of details, but wanted to at least reference that. So as we moved to this region, we prayed about what do we do with language? So there's all these different languages, right? And some people speak English, but most people don't speak English well. When you go into villages, uh, you know, the more re remote places that are outside of town, um, people don't speak English very well. Like definitely less than, less than 20% could really have an intelligent conversation, especially if you're talking about spiritual things in English. So we thought, you know, we're committing our, ourselves to this place long term. Let's, let's pray about the language situation. And the Lugbara people are 2 million people. Uh, Half a million are in the Congo, right over the border to the, to the um, west, and then the other one and a half million are in Uganda. So the Lord really led us to embrace that people group as sort of our people group and learn that language. So that's how we started out this first term. I know many of you prayed for us with that. Uh, we appreciate your prayers in that way. It was our first time learning a, learning a foreign language. And um, it is a tough language. So I suppose anyone could say that about the second language they're learning, right? But it really is, when we got there, there was a number of people that said, oh, you want to learn Lugbara? That's not going to happen. Foreigners don't learn our language. It's too difficult. So we took that as motivation to make sure we learn this language. <clears throat> it's, a tonal, it's a tonal language, which I didn't know what that meant at first, but it means the tones in your voice impact the meaning of the words that you're saying. So English is not tonal. Uh, we can use whatever tones we want, right? Um, Lugbara is tonal, so... <clears throat> the word ai, like AI, has seven meanings. Ai, 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 right? Like all these different words. Salt, believe, accept, right? All these uh, different meanings. <clears throat> so you have to be careful in how you use those words. Um, ezo, like E-Z-O, has two meanings. Ezo and ezo. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, ezo, pig. Ezo, girlfriend. <laughs> so... Who comes, up with, who comes up with this stuff, right? <clears throat> and I messed it up once. You don't want to mess that up. I, I saw a guy, that, a friend of mine that I knew, and I said, hey, 
obitri se manga abulea ane an or obitri se manga giletia ane miezoziria. He looks at me like. I said, hey, this morning I saw you there at the roadside selling your pig. <laughs> and I, but I got, the, I got the word wrong, right? So anyway, you have to be careful. <coughs> Some, they enjoy laughing at our mistakes. And, um, uh, but we have come, up, come a long ways. We're able to have uh, relationships, conversations. Uh, we've done some Bible studies. I mentioned Agobi this morning. That was the first uh, individual who ever did a complete Lugbar Bible study in. That was exciting. Uh, I, I've been hesitant to stand up and preach in Lugbara. I'm just afraid I'm going to really confuse people. So maybe we'll get there eventually, but regardless, the um, language learning process has certainly served as a tool to, to um, we, there's a lot to talk about with this, but win the hearts of people. There's something about that culture, I'm, I'm sure many cultures around the world, that is very um, humbled and honored by the fact that a foreigner would come and learn their language. Us, us Americans are a little different than that. Um, our American culture tends to think everyone should speak our language, you know, like everyone should speak English. We, we really shouldn't be that way so much, right? But those people are more like, wow, why would you come here and learn our language? And there's a very good answer to that question, right? So we tell people from the beginning, we tell people, hey, we um, have come to your, to your country to first learn your language and your culture because second, we're Bible teachers and want to um, help people better understand the Bible. And uh, people are very inter interested in that. So it's a, it's a wide open door, certainly a way to create um, ministry opportunities and a way to invest in people, show them we genu genuinely um, care. So appreciate your prayers about that language learning process. It's been, a, it's been a journey for sure. One other thing, since I'm talking about this map, let me mention this. Um, Yumbe is on the top of that map. So again, us and the Prettymans live in Arua. The drive from Arua up to Yumbe is something like an hour to an hour and a half. And the reason I point out Yumbe is because Yumbe shows up on the Joshua Project map, if you're familiar, familiar with that at all, as a red dot. So it's an unreached Muslim people group. And historically, Yumbe, I don't know I said this about the entire region, but Yumbe specifically, has been a hostile place to do mission work in. Um, because it's 90-something percent Muslim, they are very controlling of, of their culture, like um, quite a few Muslim places around the world, right? Uh, there was a couple of missionaries that went and tried to live there about 20 years ago, like 2002 or three, and, and people broke into their house and killed them. They were martyred, and they're in Yumbe. And so <clears throat> it's such a thing where if you walk down the road with a Bible in your hand, People will just throw rocks at you. If, you don't, if they don't find you in the mosque praying at, at the right time on, on Friday, specifically, um, you could really be in danger, so that type of thing. But all that to say, in the last uh, 10 years, South Sudanese refugees have, flow, have really like, um, poured into Yumbe. So there's all sorts of unrest in South Sudan, one of the largest refugee camps in the world is in um, Uganda, because Uganda's peaceful. And South Sudanese people are culturally Christian, so Catholic. But that has caused the sheiks in Yumbe to emphasize coexistence, that's their word. We need to coexist with other groups. And that's great, we like that, we like coexisting, right? <clears throat> what that's caused is Yumbe to become much more peaceful. So all that to say this, we are pursuing 
Yumbe more so in the second term. And we're, I'm, I'm excited about it. We've been praying about that. Um, we have been raising funds for a, a, an adequate land cruiser to get up there. I mentioned that hour and a half drive. It's, it's a pretty bumpy hour and a half drive. They call it African massage going down the road. So it's kind of a massage. <clears throat> so um, we've, we've gone up there a number of times, started building relationships with um, small, small groups of people that we've, uh, we've um, connected with in various ways. But we're praying God would really do a work in Yumbe. Sometimes I have to pinch myself realizing there's this unreached people group, I mean, red dot, that I can drive to in an hour. It's incredible. Um, and the fact that it's become more peaceful, more accessible now, is just, is just amazing. Um, no doubt God wants to do a great work among those people. So appreciate your prayers in that way. Um, I mentioned this morning how where we live is like half Muslim. So <clears throat> that's true of our part of Arua. So the Arua people group that we live in is something like half Muslim. And that Muslim influence is growing very fast. And let me kind of explain why. The other half of the population is, is not born-again believers. The other half is like this Christendom animism combination. <clears throat> so 100 years ago, Christianity reached East, East Africa. Um, Anglican missionaries from England and Catholic missionaries from Italy came and, and swept. Almost every village has a Catholic or Anglican church. <coughs> Excuse me, apologize for my throat here this evening. But that does not mean uh, they're teaching the gospel. They're really not gospel teaching, sadly. It's just the reality of the situation. Um, but instead, people have combined this, Christ they call it Christianity, this Catholicism, Anglicanism, with animism. So I remember the first time sitting with um, this group of people from our village that we live in who are strong Catholic, wear the rosaries all the time, do mass every Sunday, uh, all baptized. They have a Christian name, a Catholic name. And they were, were conducting an event where they were giving sacrifices for their dead ancestors. So they'll do that on Saturday and go to Mass on Sunday. Um, if someone's sick, then they'll usually start by going to the Catholic priest and asking him to pray for them, which costs something. And then um, after that, if that doesn't work, go to the, the witch doctor. So it's like this, this blend. Anyway, so that's, that's um, a big part of the religious um, landscape that we're in. So you have this, this Christendom type half and then Islam. <clears throat> and Isl they're both religious systems, right? Because of that, Islam is really growing and people don't really know what they believe. Therefore, when Islam has its aggressive ways of advancing its cause, like by business means and marriage rules and things, um, Islam continues to grow, and um, a place like that where there's a lot of Catholicism is a ripe place for Islam to grow in. And so, um, all that to say, we're burdened for those Muslim people, and uh, want to want to really make that a priority uh, and a focus of our time to to see God work in those homes. So appreciate your prayers about that. So anyway, hope questions come to mind as I kind of give this high-level rundown of of the ministry wanted to talk about, for just a minute, um, the situation with the local churches that we're working with. So um, you, get, you get Phil Prettyman's updates, you get our updates, we're working with local churches. In the Arua district, there is, um, I want to be specific here, five. There's five village churches that um, each have a different story, 
but are, are part of our ministry in some way. So three of them were started during the first couple of years of the Prettyman's ministry. That's all recent history, right, within the last five years. The other two have unique stories. One, I won't get into them, just unique stories of various backgrounds where a pastor was burdened to, to have a village church. But regardless, they're all young village churches, new churches, new ministries. <clears throat> and our ministry looks something like Sunday to Sunday being in different churches. And so we'll be in primarily four of those churches one Sunday a month. And when we go, we really want to have uh, a time of just encouraging that young village pastor. They usually ask me to preach, even though I tell them, hey, I don't have to preach just because we're here, but they usually want us to, which is okay. <clears throat> we'll sing with them, worship with them, kind of have an accountability um, for them, and more than anything, in- encourage them. So the Prettymans work with those same churches, so they rotate on different Sundays, so we're never overloading a village church with too many uh, foreigners on one Sunday. And that's what our, our uh, local church ministry looks like right now. And our burden is that those village churches would reproduce, right? Um, would embrace their task of reaching their village in the next village, and we're there to come alongside and sort of as an evangelist, really a missionary evangelist, to help them in every way uh, we reasonably can. So equip, equip, equip. We need to equip these people to do the tasks that they're called to with good ministry materials, with good training, with, with sometimes just giving them Bibles, with, um, again, good teaching and, and um, encouragement. So <clears throat> the training center is sort of our main way of doing that with these village churches. So the training center ministry um, is the last thing I'll talk about, and then we'll have time for questions. But the training center ministry is something that just started this year, and those of you that have followed our prayer letters probably heard reports. January of 2022 was the first time when we finished the, um, the building project for the training center. I, I know Brother Phil shared that uh, need, that financial need as he was on furlough finished that project, and then did our first block uh, course in, in January. And it was, it was neat to see the group that we started with. It was sort of a kind of a hodgepodge of people from different directions, certainly people related to those five churches I mentioned in Arua, as well as some connections we had made in Kaboko and Yumbe and Ajumini, where people came down on the bus and taxis to take part in this training. It's like 30-something guys. Um, it was a combination of pastors with um, young men in their churches that came along with their pastors and are desiring to serve God and, and be trained. So it was a 13-day training. They missed one Sunday in their village church. So our burden is to have a way for them to be actively growing and, and, um, and training, yet stay plugged into their village church, right? Stay pu- plugged into their village, the ministry that God has called them to, as opposed to pulling them out of their context for years in order to then send them back. So that's our burden. Um, I'm sure we'll iron out all sorts of wrinkles as time goes by. And right now, as we speak, yep, this is true. Right now, as we speak, they're in the middle of the fourth training block now. So we had to leave and go on furlough. That was kind of kind of hard to do um, right as we were starting that training. Um, and they conducted a, a, uh, another block in April and then July and then October. So quarterly is the idea. And uh, we'll trust the Lord to continue to direct us as we seek to raise up strong leaders there in the West Nile region. So, okay, I'll stop talking. Any questions you all have about this ministry? Any questions okay, even if it's, you know, Pastor Barber?
Mm. Sure. Yeah, no, thanks for asking that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll step way back with that. No, I'm glad you asked that. I haven't, we didn't really talk about that at all here, maybe even since 2017. But I um, have a unique back, uh, unique for a missionary anyway, um, where I did an accounting and business degree and then got my CPA license and worked in an accounting firm. And before my start date at the accounting firm that I had um, a job with, I was free for a couple months and wanted to do something by way of a ministry opportunity in order to just um, make some kind of impact before I started this job in my hometown. So there was a missionary in South Africa praying for someone to come help them with a new church plant project. His name was Stuart Overmiller, if any of you know who he is. He was praying for someone to come help him, so I, um, the timing worked out really well. The Lord, the Lord was in that. So I went and did this with um, my sister and two guys in our home church, as well as their sister, who was my wife, not at the time. And us five young people went to South Africa, and, um, and the Lord really used that. It was a really significant time in my life because of the fact that he used that to uh, affect my heart as I saw the need in Africa. Uh, so that was South Africa. It was a place where there is Africans from all over the continent down in that city. And uh, the Lord used that to draw Lindsay and I together and also to open my eyes to the fact that I'm not going to be an accountant my whole life. I'm really burdened to go to Africa and serve in advancing the gospel there. So we began to pray about where to go in Africa. There's a man in the West Nile region of Uganda in Arua that was sending out prayer letters saying, um, hey, we're praying for some young couple to come, or some, some missionary to come partner with us. And we thought, well, we can pray about that. So we, we started to pray about it and, and learn about that region, you know, looking, researching things online. We went there for a month to, to see that place for the first time. And a couple months went by, we were praying about it, and then that missionary sends a letter and says, uh, we're leaving the field. So we thought, well, I guess that means the need just became greater in that region. So, but we are burdened to, um, I should say convicted, to partner with someone. We didn't want to, as young missionaries, go somewhere all by ourselves, uh, but, but be part of some, some good team. So I met this guy named Phil Prettyman, who was beginning deputation to go there, and said, hey, why don't we go on a trip there together? <coughs> so we did that, got to know him, <coughs> excuse me, and his family more. And, and the Lord was really in it. The Lord used that to direct us there, and it's just neat to see God lead. So there, there's countless places like this across Africa. Africa is such a ripe place for our day, for our generation. Um, I'm not, not just saying that. It's so true. Um, and, and just um, can't say that seriously enough. Um, so to be able to just be in a place where God leads you and invest in people, love people, trust God to use his word um, is a joy. So thanks for asking that, Pastor Barbara. Other questions you have? Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> okay, sure. So the radio, the radio thing is an interesting question. That's something we're praying about right now, specifically for Yumbe. So um, there's not any sort of good uh, radio happening in Yumbe. There's only one radio station. It's Islamic. So the options are either get time on the Islamic radio, which people have tried and doesn't really um, work. You're not allowed to talk about Jesus too much type of thing. 
So it basically means you need, they need their own radio station. So if you pray about that, it's something we're not like uh, moving on right now, but um, we'll sort of, um, I guess, touch base with once we get back here the second term. And it, it, it could very well happen the second term. We're sort of trusting the Lord with the timing on that. So, and then the other thing was, um, okay, for our next term. Sure, so the primary two goals uh, these are somewhat general, but the primary two goals are to um, gain inroads into the Muslim community and, and take evangelism in that way seriously, much more so than we really did in our first term. So if you guys, if you pray about that, we appreciate your prayers in that way. And then second is to um, really be committed with the training of pastors. So that started in 2022. Um, the first year has gone well, but as we return, uh, we need to set up a good structure of training that'll be like a two or three year program for young men to work through and, and being equipped to, to preach God's word. So those two things are big priorities. Yeah. Yes, sir. So shift to this. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So God has blessed it. We're really thankful for it. Um, I know it, um, missionary relationships on the field, and, and, and what I'm trying to say is missionary conflicts on the field are all too common. But we've not had that, so praise God for that. We, um, um, the Lord has really blessed the way we work together. So there's just a lot of practical things. You know, right now we have a house there, and every week um, Phil goes over to our house and pays our security guards and makes sure the dog has enough food, that type of thing. So that would be uh, difficult to deal with without a good missionary partner. And when he was on furlough, we did the same thing. Um, I got going on the training center foundation project with the work crew so that by the time they returned, um, they were able to continue on with that. So that worked out really well. In terms of the local churches, we we're working together, you know, like um, working with the same local churches. So we're partnered in that way. And then the training center, we're very much partnered. He's, he's really the um, director of the training center. But we have this like leadership team of him, myself, and three local pastors. So we're working together. So we're, we're partnered. Yet there, what's also true is that we're both independent Baptist missionaries. That um, that we we both answer to God, right? So there's certain things where um, they're off doing that ministry, we're doing this ministry. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the Muslim emphasis side of what how the way the Lord has led us is something that we've sort of dived into, um, whereas. Brother Phil really spearheaded this um, this training center, making that happen. I'm really thankful for that. So it's it's been neat to see how the way, the way the Lord has led with that. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> Can you get by with? Okay, sure. Yep, so um, <clears throat> Muslim people's language in Yumbe, they speak Aringa, which is a different language, but it's really close. It's really like a dialect of Lugbara. So when I speak Lugbara, um, they understand it. It's really helpful. Um, when they speak their language, oh, I can barely, uh, it, it's just different enough that it's so hard. Um, we're something like, you know, 20% hearing, so that's difficult. Maybe, we'll, maybe we can uh, improve on that as time goes by, but... Um, and then in Arua, of course, those are Lugbara Muslims. Uh, so they're speaking Lugbara. Uh, the ones that we built relationships with initially have pretty good English, like the ones that are close to town. 
Muslim leaders that are a little more educated and have good English, which of course helps us. Um, so yeah, the language thing is always a challenge. It really is a barrier, but um, we do our best with it and build relationships where we can. So the bi- Bibles, uh, there is a Lugvara Bible. So uh, we praise God for that. It was translated like 60 years ago by the Anglicans, and it's, um, it's an okay translation. So it, it's somewhat archaic because those tribal languages change really fast. Um, for now, the Lord has not led us to pursue a translation project. Um, we're working with that. Bible that the Bible Society in Uganda sells, we can buy those for like $5, 5 or $6, and we've, we've purchased many of those and used them in local churches. Yeah. All right, other questions? Yes. Hmm. It's, yeah, it is. Um, the West Nile region is uh, like a hotbed for malaria. It's the number one killer, number one killer in Uganda, in Africa, I think. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I don't know that. I'm 100% sure. It is in Uganda, um, sadly. So malaria is a, is a real challenge. Um, when we went, we were told, like, oh, yeah, you get malaria pretty often here. And we, we prayed and even asked for prayer that we wouldn't get malaria right away. It can be, it can be hard, especially on little kids. We had a three-year-old and one-year-old when we first went. Um, and whole first term, we never got malaria one time. So we praise God for that. It really is a blessing. Um, you can do what you can in terms of, you know, repellent and screens on the windows. But at the end of the day, you get lots of mosquito bites. And um, we praise God for that blessing. Uh, the pretty men's have mostly not had malaria. I think Christine had it one time. One of the girls had it one time. But, um, but we've been really blessed with that. Appreciate your prayers about that as well. So, yeah. Other questions? Appreciate your questions. Yes, ma'am. Hmm. Sure. So in our region, there's some hospitals. There's a government hospital and there's a, um, a, a, a private hospital that was started by some organization. They're the type of hospitals that you just don't ever want to have to go into, you know, that type of thing. Um, we've been in them to, to um, help other people, you know, um, local friends that we have. Uh, we'll, we'll take people to the hospital, pick them up. Um, to help them out when they uh, have a baby. So oftentimes someone will have a baby and have to get back to their home village on the back of a motorcycle with their newborn baby, which is kind of challenging. So we're glad to help out in that way. It's kind of an easy way to be a blessing is just pick them up in our car. So that's kind of what we've done in the hospitals is, is um, interact with people in that way. But we've never, praise, praise the Lord, we've never had to go for our own family um, reasons. Um, when Titus was born, we went to the capital city. And that worked out okay. And the eight-hour drive, went down there, stayed there a month, and uh, stayed at an Airbnb, actually, in the capital city, and then came back. So in the case of, like, medical emergencies from the West Nile, we would probably want to um, get flight evacuate to Nairobi or Johannesburg. Um, And once again, praise the Lord, we haven't had to do that. So, yep. All right. Hey, good questions. Appreciate your questions. Oh, sure, I was going to mention that. Yes, a lot of times people ask, like, what our living situation is. We don't live in a grassroof hut, so I don't think we'd last very long if we did that. But our, our home is um, <clears throat> a cement block home with a, with a um, metal roof. I mean, it's a walled-in compound, not a big compound, but it's walled-in 
with razor wire on the walls, and we have night guards. <clears throat> so security like that is just really necessary. I don't know any missionaries in Uganda that don't um, have that level of security. It's just um, pretty necessary. And but we felt very safe, though. Um, we have not had any serious incidents anyway. There was, there's been a number of times where people will try to climb the walls at night, and uh, it's never really, really um, caused any issue. There's one time a few guys like, threw a mattress on our um, razor wire and tried to climb over, and our village people uh, were on it. So we have relationships with the village people all around, and they have a, a tribal local way of dealing with crime. And it's kind of rough to see sometimes, but it's also pretty effective. So <clears throat> they, tried to, they tried to get in. They were on it, and uh, they chased them off. The, the, the bad guys got away, right? And I asked them, I said, so what would happen if, if they'd gotten in, you know, into the compound? And our house is still locked, so I, I wouldn't really be overly concerned. But, and uh, the one village leader that was standing there with a bow and arrow, he said, oh, we'd kill them. And I was like don't ever do that. You know, I don't want that happening. That's, I don't think that's the right solution. So, um, one time, I won't get off on this too long, but one time I was, I was running. I, I run around our, our village uh, uh, a few times a week. So, <clears throat> I, was, I was jogging, and there was this, um, he, was, he was a crazy man. He was, like, possessed in some way, and he, he jumped out in the road, and, and, like, right where I was running. So, I stopped and just kind of walked around him. And he kind of like hit me a little bit. It was it was no big deal. It was kind of strange. <clears throat> well, somebody saw it, so the village leaders came together and got this guy and caned him uh, three hundred times. So gave him a massive spanking, right? So six guys, fifty wax apiece, um, caned this guy. And I was like, guys, he didn't hardly do anything. You know, I couldn't believe that. And they said, look. We take it seriously that you've come from America to live in our village. We want you to feel safe. Um, I said, okay, I feel safe. <coughs> so, anyway. Should I have told that story? Maybe I shouldn't have told that story. Anyway, <coughs> that kind of gives you a little bit of a insi uh, insight into our lives, I suppose. So, all right. So that's kind of our, yeah, that's our home situation. We, we feel safe, thankful for the home we live in, so. Other questions? I, don't, I wasn't looking over here. Anyone? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Mm. Sure. Um, can I tell the hotel story? Okay. So the biggest issue, see, i got to think about how these stories would be received. I haven't really had an opportunity to tell a lot of these. This is good. Anyway, um, one time during a COVID lockdown, um, there was this nice hotel on the Nile River that had like really steep discounts because there was no uh, tourism happening. So uh, we, we, we went and stayed there a couple nights. So we drive there four hours early. This was when we were allowed to drive our car once again. We, we stopped at this hotel, checked into this little hotel room, and um, the receptionist said, hey, just be aware there's baboons around. So lock, you know, close your doors and stuff so, um, and lock your doors. And we said, yeah for sure. So, hadn't seen any baboons around there yet, but so we go in, it was like it was like noon. Our kids were really tired cuz we got them up early, so we, we put them down for a nap and Lindsay and I laid down and we fell asleep too in the middle of the day and just kind of took a nap cuz we got up really early. And but before we took a nap, I closed this sliding door that had like a latch on it. So, I closed the door that looked out over the, the river. 
Well, we're, we're laying there sleeping, and at the, at the foot of the bed was this, like, TV stand, like this little, little uh, typical hotel room type of thing that we would think of. It was a nice hotel. Um, so Lindsay wakes up, and there's this big six-foot male baboon sitting on that table watching us sleep. So she opens her eyes and reacts like any of us would react, which scared the baboon. And the baboon... And wakes me up, obviously. And I will open my eyes, and the baboon's jumping over our kids back toward the door and grabs Lindsay's purse on the way out and heads out to the, to the porch outside and then starts going through the purse and goes through everything looking for food and throws it all. And we're screaming at the baboon in some way. And then the baboon runs off and didn't find any food in the purse. So we had baboon PTSD for a few nights. Not to this day, just for a little while. So, so we have baboon incidents here and there. That's, that's, the main, that's the main challenge with animals. Other than that, killed a few snakes in our compound. It's not, not anything more than you'd expect, I guess. So, All right, told the baboon story. All right, other questions? Appreciate your questions. We have a couple minutes. Appreciate uh, the chance to get to interact about that stuff. Anything else? Yeah, yes, okay. Where Andrew. Sure. No, thanks for asking about that. That's um, a big part of our lives, I, I guess. Um, across the Lugbar people group, it's definitely less than half. Less than half of the population can really sit down and read um, the Bible. So as a result, um, as we really begin to realize that, um, we certainly have embraced like literacy to the extent that we can. Uh, Phil has written a good evangelistic Bible study that we've done with people. Uh, we have we do give away Bibles. There's a lot of people that can't read, right? So, what we what we've done with that is we've implemented an oral Bible storying way of sharing the gospel. So you can really share the gospel with Bible stories, and this is something different missions groups have done, and we learned from a, a different evangelical group in there in Uganda about it. Is taking a Bible story and finding a way to tell it that takes something like five minutes. Uh, which usually means like taking scripture and trying to um, condense it down into something that's it's five minutes and and standing there telling them that story so that they can literally sit there with you and, and memorize it. And oral people, meaning people that learn orally and not by reading, memorize really, really well. It's an interesting thing to learn about, but when you don't read by, when you don't learn by reading and you learn by hearing, uh, you memorize incredibly well. So the first time I did this, I sat with some people <clears throat> that were oral learners, and um, the leader told a Bible story, and he, then he told it again, and then he told it a third time, and one of the people in the group stood up and repeated the entire story word for word, had it learned. And I was like, I was at like 20% myself, you know, after hearing the story three times, because I'm, a, liter I'm, a, I'm a, a literate learner, and that's the type of learner I am. Um, because I, you know, read, essentially. So that's when I, our eyes were kind of open to that, and we started doing that. We did that in a couple of villages and want to continue kind of equipping churches to have a, a Bible story set to go into um, illiterate places and teach the Bible. Then those oral people will be equipped to do that themselves, go in their own homes and villages and, and reproduce in that way. So, yeah, thanks for asking about that, Andrew. That's um, a big part of what our ministry needs to look like in reaching illiterate people. So, 
One more question. I think there's a couple. Yes, ma'am. Or yes, sir. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's another whole conversation, isn't it? Um, uh, we're not, I'm definitely not uh, the expert on that, but as we've had relationships, we've gotten to learn the things to say and not to say. <laughs> so uh, quite a few people have told me and uh, people that have written about this will share how it's really not best to uh, criticize Islam. It's not best to hit on all the faults, you know, say, hey, you know, Muhammad this and that, and the Quran has errors here and there, even though those things are true, but instead to just share the gospel with them. The gospel is what's powerful. The word of God is what uh, convicts hearts. So that's been our burden is to, instead of attack their belief system, which will offend them and make relationships hard, right, to instead uh, open the word of God that they claim to believe, they claim to believe the Bible, so to do a Bible study is not, is not a big ask to them. They'll say, oh yeah, I believe the Bible, you know. Our prophet Jesus was a good prophet, they'll say, you know. And then say, hey, let's see what the Bible says about this Jesus and um, who Jesus claims to be. And see his, what his, see his very words when he lived his life. And uh, at some point, it really breaks down what they believe as they realize that whoa, I believe the Bible, I love Jesus, but the Bible says this about Jesus. Um, trust that God will really use his word in that way in our Muslim Bible studies. So, Well, I will finish there. P- appreciate you guys' questions. Thanks for the opportunity to get to interact about the ministry some. We'll be in the foyer afterward if there's anything else you know, are thinking about. Once again, I can't like sincerely enough say thank you. We really just love the fact that the body of Christ works together in a way to get the gospel somewhere not by any one person, but by people praying, people giving, some people going, some people staying, and, and God working in that way. It's a joy to be a part of as each one of us look to the Lord for what he has for us in this task. So, Pastor?